book of Daniel, and we ended in the middle of Daniel chapter 10 uh, last week, and we've left the Sunday school stories behind. We've left the, you know, Daniel and the lion's den, those, those stories that we're very, very familiar with, uh, the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then the fiery furnace, or or Daniel interpreting the, the visions and the dreams of, of the kings that he served under. And now we get to see what goes on behind uh, those prayers, behind those dreams. And especially as we've been going through chapters 9 and 10, we see the spiritual warfare that happens every single time that we pray. And you probably experienced this yourself. You, you pray and you wonder if God heard. You wonder if God even, uh, you know, heard your prayers or is listening to your prayers. And, and Daniel, he has to wait, you know, for the first prayer, he has, he has to wait 14 days. And now he has to wait 21 days for the answer to his prayer. And I love what it says in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Because the same is true for every single one of us in this room. Yes, there is a, a, a period of time where we have to wait. There, there's a period of time where, where Lord, are you actually hearing what I'm saying. But in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12, and we'll read a, the, these three verses here and then we'll, we'll pray. It says, then he said to me, and this is Gabriel talking to Daniel, do not fear Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. Is prayer instantaneous? Now, the return answer, though, unfortunately, we have to wait, right? You pray for someone to be saved. You pray for someone to be healed. You, you, you pray for an answer to prayer. Lord, Lord, help us in our, our financial situation or, or in our health or, or with a child or with someone that I know, Lord, or in my work or, or wherever it may be. We, we pray these prayers. Your prayers are heard that instant. But it continues on there. And I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. It takes 21 days. It took 21 days for this prayer to be answered. There's a spiritual warfare happening because does Satan not want you to hear the answer? The, the spiritual warfare that takes place in heavenly places, the, these princes of the kingdoms, of Persia and of Babylon and of Greece and all these various uh, princes in heavenly places are fighting with the angel. It continues on there. One of the chief princes came to help me for I've been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days yet to come the truth that we're going to see now going from you know chapters 9 and 10 to chapters 11 and 12 the spiritual warfare leads to prophecy the maturity of the saint in waiting for the lord to answer there is an answer that is coming that deals with uh, the future this is what we're going to find out tonight so, Father, as we approach your heavenly throne room, we know that even in unseen places, even around us tonight, that there's a, a spiritual warfare happening where uh, we may be distracted. We may be, you know, tempted, to, whether it's look at our phones or, or think about what we have to do tomorrow or, or just all the things in our life, the, the stresses like we, we, we prayed earlier in, in the service and, and just that, that life stress. The things that we have to do right when we leave here. And all those whispers of the demons trying to get us to be distracted from your truth and from your word. So, Lord, tonight I ask that you would just put your hedge of protection around this place. For those that are listening now, that they would actually, you know, pay attention rather than having one ear on the screen and 
another doing whatever they have to do. Lord, that this spiritual warfare would be uh, one from your end, Lord, that we would see you working mighty miracles. And it's in our inattention and our, our, our frailty to be able to, um, you know, whether stay awake or to pay attention, Lord, please forgive us. Strengthen us in our prayer life. Strengthen us in our walk with you so that we can, as, as Daniel has to do himself, uh, draw closer to you. And then to see the answers to the prayers that come through. And then even to see how you have a plan for the future. And, and it's always, again, for our uh, good. Yes, there is a, a waiting time period. And, and yes, there is a, a no to some of our prayer requests. And, and, and knowing that, that you have a better plan for us, Lord. Help us to see as we, we read through these last two chapters that, that you are working miracles even in the hard time. That, that you're bringing about a, a plan to fruition that, it, that is better than our own. That just distracts from the truth of your word even now, Lord. So, Lord, focus up our minds. Help us to be that, have that desire to see you work and, and to see you um, use us for your glory. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And last week we ended with this amazing... Uh, passage from the book of Ephesians, and and you've heard this many, many times, and it ties in, and whether it's it's chapter 10 or chapter 9 of the book of Daniel, or the New Testament, where we see that we're supposed to put on the full armor of God. Remember last week, we read in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God. How much of the armor of God are we supposed to put on? Or not just a piece here or there, not not just you know once a week, but literally when we wake up to put on the whole armor of God. Last week we learned that these are all offensive, even starting with the very belt, the belt of truth that holds it all uh, together. Starting with the the Word of God. It's not against flesh and blood that we argue against or fight against. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to uh, stand. Do we all need that encouragement? Oh, yeah. Do we all need to be protected? And then, of course, it goes into the individual pieces but skipping ahead to verse 18 there in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Wow. Do we need to be people of prayer? This is who Daniel was. This is what Daniel was doing. And, and despite the fact that he was a, a, a wise man, despite the fact that he was a godly man, despite the fact that he was a, a prayer a warrior, did he too have to wait? Yeah. 21 days, it says. Picking up the story again in Daniel chapter 10, verse 15, it says, when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless, and suddenly one, like the likeness of the sons of men, touched my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. This man of faith, what has happened seeing the spiritual warfare in heavenly places? It sapped him of his earthly strength. Wow. Is prayer wrestling? Is prayer this time? And, and you probably felt it yourself, you, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, late at night or early in the morning and, and you, you set aside a certain amount of time to pray, right? What happens? Your eyes get heavy. Your brain gets distracted. 
It's easy to be distracted in prayer. Daniel says, I, I have retained no strength, for how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. We all need to be strengthened. Verse 18, then again, the one having the likeness of the man touched me and strengthened me. This, by the way, same thing happened with Elijah. Remember when Elijah was running uh, from Jezebel? You know, he, he had battled those 400, uh, you know, prophets of Baal there on the top of Mount Carmel. He saw the fire of heaven uh, rain down. He had all those prophets of Baal put to death the true God showed up and now he's running from a, you know, a woman, a queen, a Jezebel, wants to kill him, right? And, and what did he want to do underneath that terebinth tree as he had been running from this lady? Lord, just kill me now. Just kill me now. Don't want to run anymore. What did the angel do for Elijah? You guys remember the story? Fed him, told him to sleep, and fed him again. And in that, in that one uh, time with that angel being fed and sleeping and being fed again, he was able to have strength for the next 40 days. And God took him to that cave and then he spoke to him. And this is what it means to pray. And whether it was Jesus there, you know, uh, crying and, and sweating drips, drops of blood or, or whether it was John and, and Andrew and James, there on literally in the garden of Gethsemane while Jesus was doing that, what were they doing? They were sleeping. Even the great men of faith have been caught literally sleeping in prayer. Do we all need to be strengthened? Yes. Verse 18, it reiterates that. I love this. Then again, the one having the likeness of man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, oh, man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. Do all of us need to be strong in prayer? But the title that he gives to Daniel, and by the way, this isn't just given to one person in the New Testament. The name that has been given to me, the name that I was named for, John the Beloved, right? John the Apostle, right? That person who got to lay his head on the lap of Jesus Christ himself, even Daniel is called greatly beloved. And are you greatly beloved to the Lord? Does God see you as greatly beloved? And does he send his angels to answer your prayer request? The problem is we fall asleep in the waiting. When he had spoken to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Verse 20, then he said to me, do you know why I've come to you? And I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. When I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except for Michael your prince. There was a personal angel that was put over defending dad. Wow. Michael, the archangel. You know that you have an angel over you, maybe probably several. You know, a lot of us need multiple angels to protect us, you know. But, but do you understand the, uh, not only the dangers that those angels have protected you from, you don't even know about until you get to heaven, by the way. Those things that the angels have protected us from, the Lord has used in our lives to bring about protection in our lives, even before and without any recognition to those angels. And the Bible very clearly tells us that we're going to judge angels. It's going to be those rewards that we're going to give to the angels when we get to see, oh, these angels protected me. These angels were there at certain points in the history of my life. You know, preventing you from leaving at a certain time, protecting you from a car accident, or, or directing your path at certain points in your life in order to bring you to the places where you are now. 
chapters 11 and 12 now go into what is called the uh, the 400 years or, or the what, what's called the Apocrypha time period. It, it's these 400 years from the book of Malachi until the New Testament. We have nowhere else in the Bible, in the, you know, uh, a word of God, the canonized word of God, the 66 books of the Bible. These two chapters speak to a period of time that's going to be where there is no spoken word. It's only Daniel that's going to write about this time. And you may, may have grown up Catholic or whatever, and, and you may have, you know, there's an Old Testament, there's a New Testament, and in the Catholic Bible, they have what's called the Apocrypha. And it's a set of books that you know, isn't in our a Bible, our canonized Bible, the Bible that, that we uh, know and believe is the Word of God. But at times, those apocryphal books are historically accurate. They, they actually happened in history. Now, they may not, you know, uh, address the, the truth of who God is in those time periods, but they are historically accurate. The books of the Maccabees are, yes, 100% historically accurate. There's a period of time in multiple of those books, whether it's the time of Purim or the time when the, the four sons of the Maccabees fought during this 400-year time period where we see the truth of God actually happening in a history. And so these two chapters actually speak to a period of time when the Greeks are in charge. After the Medes and the Persians fall from power, the next world power that comes to play are the Greeks. And, and chapters 11 and 12 are the only chapters in the entire Bible that speak to this time period. And, and so we're going to see here a glimpse into this time period that the Bible doesn't actually address from the book of Malachi until the book of Matthew, this 400-year period of uh, silence. And so in chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Also in the first year of Darius the Mede, this was the guy uh, that put Daniel into the lion's den, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia. The truth of this statement is that not only is God accurately telling Daniel what's going to happen in the future, but how did it come about to being? It was through the spiritual warfare. It, it was through the time in intimate prayer with God that he's being revealed uh, these future events. And by the way, all these are going to take place within 200 to 250 years from the time of this writing. And the fourth shall come far richer than them, all by his strength and through his riches. He shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. And then the mighty king will arise who will rule with great dominion and do according to his will. By the way, when Darius the Mede the, and this is the accuracy of Scripture. This is why it is so important in the book of Daniel or in the book of Ezekiel or in various other books why there's accurate dates. We know exactly when this is being written. The first year of King Darius. The Greeks weren't even in power at this time. And now Daniel is writing about what's going to happen that we look back or we take, you know, in our junior high history class or high school history class, if we remember that back that far, we remember these times of the Greek Empire. This, this, this time that is, you know, displayed in movies, fantasized about, that we, you know, have mythology about. That this is what Daniel is writing about before they even come into power. 200 to 250 years before they actually come as a world power. Verse 4, and when he had risen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not among the, his own posterity or according to his dominion with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be uprooted even for others beside these. And, and you know, if you remember your history, when Alexander the Great died, this king who had, you know, 
brought the uh, the Greek empire into its world power. It wasn't his children that took over. It was four generals. And, and the kingdom was actually split between these four uh, generals. And Daniel accurately describes this, accurately foretells uh, this uh, prophecy. This is why the word of God is so important. This is why when we read these chapters, that very seldom uh, do we read about in uh, the Bible, the truth and the accuracy of the Bible comes into play. Whether you're a history buff or, or not, uh, the truth of the Bible is always accurate. This is being written in the first year of Darius, 200 years before the Greek empire even comes as a world power. This takes place where these four generals that divide up the Greek empire, and by the way, the two that we're going to be seeing are the Ptolemies and the, uh, the Seleucus uh, uh, divisions. And, and these were the, the, what we call modern-day Judea, modern-day Iran, modern-day uh, Palestine, modern-day uh, Syria and Mesopotamia, uh, this Middle Eastern area of the world uh, that the Greek Empire divided up between all these uh, generals. Verse 5, it continues on. And by the way, the, the, the king of the, the south is, is going to be the Ptolemies, and the king of the north is going to be the, the, the Seleucus uh, Empire. Verse 5, also the king of the south shall be strong as well as one of his princes. He shall gain power over him, have dominion. His dominion shall be a great dominion. At the end of some years, they shall join forces. For the daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north and make an agreement. But she shall not retain the power of her authority, and neither he nor his authority shall stand but she shall be given up with those who brought her and with him who begot her and with him who strengthened her in those times. But from a branch of her roots, one shall arise in his place. One shall come with an army, enter the fortress of the king of the north and deal with them and uh, prevail. And he shall also carry his gods captive to Egypt and their princes and their precious articles of silver and gold and he shall continue more years than the king of uh, the north. This king of the south uh, that is over not only uh, Judea, but also Egypt. Have you ever heard of Cleopatra? This is who they're talking about. In fact, this is the daughter of the king of the south. This is the daughter who, uh, from the king of the south who's going to marry the king of the north. And then they're going to, you know, betray her dad. Okay. This is the accurate word of God being shown to declare what's going to happen in the future. Verse 9, also the king of the north shall come to the kingdom of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. However, sons shall stir up strife and assemble a multitude of great forces, and one shall certainly come and overwhelm and pass through, and then he shall return to his fortress and stir up strife. King of the south shall be moved with rage and go out and fight with him, with the king of the north, who shall muster a great multitude. But the multitude shall be given in the hand of his enemy. And when he has taken away the multitude, his heart will be lifted up. He will cast down tens of thousands, but he will not prevail. The king of the north will return and muster a multitude greater than the former, and shall certainly come at the end of many years with a great army, much equipment. And in fact, in, in history, we learn about these two empires that, that had come from uh, the Greek arm, army or the, the Greek empire, the Ptolemies and the, the Seleucus. And, and actually, during this time period, we see that there was four sons of Maccabee that stood up for the Jews because the Jews got get caught up in this crossfire between the the, the Greek Empire, in fact, they become a, a, um, a, a, a small slave state, if you will, or a, a state where they have to actually pay taxes to the Greek Empire during this time. 
where, where the Greek empire wants to eradicate the Jews. And, and during this time, even if you go to Israel uh, today, there's a, a fortress up above uh, the Dead Sea called uh, Masada. And, and during this time, and we'll see it later on in this, in this same chapter, uh, the, the Jews actually go to uh, Masada, where they, where they literally have to hold themselves up, where they have to fight against uh, the Greek army. And it's the four sons of Maccabee that lead this rebellion, that lead this uh, revolt. In fact, that's what it says there in verse 14. Now in those times, many shall rise up against the king of the south. The, the Jews were part of this rebellion that rise up. Also, violent man of your people shall exalt themselves in fulfillment of the vision, but they shall fell. The, these Maccabees, in fact, every single one of the sons of Maccabee die in this rebellion. Every, every single one of the these people that are in Masada that have, you know, set themselves aside thinking that they're the last of the Jews left in the, on the planet or in the earth at this time. They, they literally die in rebellion to uh, this empire. Again, predicted by what Daniel is saying here. Verse 15, so the king of the north shall come and build a siege mound and take a fortified city. This is Masada. In fact, this is how they, they did it. The forces of the south shall not withstand him. Even his choice troops shall have no strength to resist. But he who comes against them shall go according to his own will, and no one shall stand against him. He shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his power. This glorious land is the promised land, the land of Israel, where the Greeks literally come in and they invade uh, the nation of Israel during this time. By the way, I mean, you can, you can read uh, the book of Maccabees. There's four different books. Uh, and again, they, they, they may not be canonical. They may not be in terms of what we would include in the Bible. But yes, they are historically accurate. The stories in them actually uh, happen now. Of course, the credit always goes to the Maccabees, unfortunately instead of to God, okay? But God is always behind the scenes working in spite of uh, what is happening in this, in the, during this time period. But it's Daniel that accurately foretells what happens during this time period between Malachi and Matthew. Verse 17, he shall also set up his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom and upright ones with him, thus shall he do. He shall give him the daughter of women to destroy it. He shall not withstand with him and or be with him or be for him. After this, he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall take many. But a ruler shall bring the reproach against them to an end. And with the reproach removed, he shall turn back to him. Then he shall turn his face toward the fortress of his own land, but shall stumble and fall and not be found. And there shall arise in his place one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom. And again, the glorious kingdom is the promised land, Israel. But within a few days he shall be destroyed, but not in anger or in battle. In his place shall arise a vile person to whom uh, they will not give the honor to royalty, but he shall come in peaceable and seize the kingdom by intrigue. With the force of a flood, they shall be swept away from before him and be broken, and also the prince of the covenant. And after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully. He shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. He shall enter peaceably even into the richest places of the province, and he shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers, he shall disperse among them uh, the plunder, spoil, and riches, and he shall devise his plans against the strongholds, but only for a time. I don't know how closely you paid attention during history class. Normally, it's one of those classes that you, you know, take a nap in or whatever, you know. Uh, I, I remember, you know, my history class from a long time ago. And, and, you know, I, I remember, you know, she always, our teacher always used to write notes on a blackboard and we'd have to copy down the notes, you know, 
and, and and she always wrote faster than us for some reason. I don't know how she did it, but she could write faster on a blackboard than I could copy what she was, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh writing. And, and, and so you always had to take these tests, but when normally would you study for the test? Yeah, that's normally what we do, you know, especially as, as teenagers or as, as junior hires or as high schoolers and, and, and normally you, you cram. So you have all these notes that you're supposed to have actually written down and then you have to cram for the test the night before, right? You know what the great thing about the Bible is? You can go back and read it again. Just like your, your notes, you can go back and read it again. And, and, and maybe whether it's, you know, in the future and, and, and you read about this and, and it may not make sense now, but the truth of scripture that is accurately displayed here, people have been trying to criticize these two chapters, especially 11 and 12 for centuries. Because the time that it's being written in, none of this would have taken place. The, the accuracy of the beginning, the first year of King Darius, Darius wasn't even alive when these things took place. 200, 250 years take place from the time of this writing to the accurate display of these historical events that take place. By the way, at the beginning, you know, most of this is, is this, you know, uh, Greek army that's trying to take over uh, the Jews. But then in this paragraph that we just read, instead of forcing themselves, a person's going to rise up, a guy by the name of uh, Antonelli, okay? He's going to come in and he's going to try and take over by intrigue or deception instead. In fact, he's going to make a peace treaty with uh, the Jews. Look at what it says there in verse 25. Or, or excuse me, verse 20. Uh, there he shall rise in his place, one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom. But within a few days he shall be destroyed, but not in battle. And in his place shall rise a vile person to whom they will not give the honor of royalty, but he shall come in peaceable and seize the kingdom by intrigue. The, this next ruler that's going to come up, and we're going to read about him in, in just a little bit later on, he, he's going to come up through intrigue. He's not going to come up with an army. He's going to come up with deception. In fact, he's going to make a, a peace treaty with uh, the Jews. We're going to see this happen multiple times in history, not only during uh, 185 uh, B.C., but also in 70 AD as well. In fact, skipping ahead to verse 25, we read this, he shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army, and the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for they shall devise plans against him. Yes, those who eat of the portion of his delicacies shall destroy him, his army shall be swept away, and many will fall down slain. Both these kings' hearts shall be bent to evil, and they shall speak lies at the same table, but it shall not prosper, for the end will still be at the appointed time. Despite the fact of this civil war that's going to take place, and again, accurately described in the Bible, that takes place within the Greek Empire, and by the way, it's going to be the fall of the Greek Empire, and this is now going to lead to the Roman Empire. Remember earlier in the book of Daniel, where we saw that statue, the gold head, the silver body, the, the bronze waist, and then the, the uh, uh, legs made out of iron and clay. And, and again, we saw that the Babylonian Empire was the gold head, the silver was the Medes and the Persians, and then you had the bronze which is going to be the Greeks, and then you had the iron, which is going to be the Romans. Again, accurately describing the next four kingdoms. This is now describing the downfall of the Greek empire. This empire, again, that hasn't even come into power yet at the time when Daniel is writing about their fall. Isn't that amazing? The accuracy of Scripture. 
Verse 28, and while returning to his land with great riches, his heart shall be moved against the holy covenant, so he shall do damage, return to his own land. Verse 29, so the appointed time he shall return and go toward the south, but it shall not be like the former or the latter, for the ships from Cyprus will come against him, therefore he shall be grieved. Return and rage against the holy covenant and do damage. So he shall return and show regard to those who forsake the holy covenant and the forces shall be mustered by him and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. And then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination and desolation. You've probably heard this before if you read the book of Revelation. This is a time period where the Jews are being literally persecuted. There's a guy that rises to power, a guy by the name of Antiochus Ptolemy. He takes a pig and he literally sacrifices on the altar. He defiles the very altar itself in not only to rage uh, the Jews, but also in defiance of God himself. And this guy who rises to this power, this Antiochus Ptolemy, he declares that the daily sacrifices and the other mosaic ceremonies are illegal. The Jews are no longer able to have their sacrifices or to have their, their cultural uh, identity of who they are as Jewish people, and then to stop them from doing this, he takes a pig, an unclean animal, and he sacrifices on the altar so that the blood that comes out of this pig literally defiles the altar itself. And, by, and again, whether it's a commentary or history, all of this is documented in history, actually happening, again, predicted by uh, Daniel himself. And then not only does he sacrifice a pig, but he uh, builds a, a image of Zeus in what is called the holy place or in the temple itself. By the way, Jesus said uh, another thing would happen, and, and this has happened multiple times throughout history. Antiochus Ptolemy was just the, the first of these people to do it. In AD 70, it happened again, by the way. The Romans were the ones that did it then. In fact, Jesus predicted that that would happen in Matthew chapter 24. You probably read this, and it attaches perfectly to this abomination of desolation. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, it says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads this, let him understand. And again, Jesus is quoting from Daniel. Jesus is predicting what's going to happen in the future, not only remembering what the Greeks do, did, but also what the Romans are going to do as well. Listen to what Jesus says. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is in the housetops not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in the winter or in the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. Not only did it happen during the Greek time period, about 185 BC, it's going to happen in 80, 70, but it's also going to happen during the tribulation time period too. And you can literally put Daniel's chapter 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 and put it right next to the book of Revelation chapter 12 and read this same exact thing, the same exact imagery, this abomination of desolation that's going to take place right at the three and a half mark of the tribulation time period, where the Antichrist is going to go against his treaty that he has made with the Jews and sacrifice this abomination of desolation right there on the altar, literally enraging the Jews, going against everything that he had promised them. Verse 22 of Matthew chapter 24, it says, Unless those days were shortened, no flesh will be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. 
by the way, the, the truth of this is, if you know Jesus Christ now, this prophecy is actually a comfort. The book of Revelation is actually made to be written to be a comfort to you if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because you're not going to be here. That's the beauty of it. But would you ever want anyone to go through this? No, of course not. Daniel chapter 10, verse 32, and we'll get through this. Uh, the next chapter is very, very short here. Those who do wickedly against the covenant shall be, he shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many, yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. And now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join with them by intrigue. And some of those of understanding shall fall and refine them and purify them and make them white until the end of the time, because it is still for the appointed time. What do trials produce in those that are godly? Refinement. Bringing about a purifying effect to those that are righteous. Verse 36, And the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against God of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither God of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. This is ultimately going to be fulfilled in what we call the Antichrist. By the way, there's been many Antichrists, small a. Uh, there, there's been many, in, in fact, this uh, Antiochus Ptolemy, uh, Nero himself, all these people that have come into power that deny who God is, they are Antichrists, okay? But they are, they're small antichrists. They're just for a period of time. Ultimately, we're going to see in the book of Revelation during the tribulation time period, there will be one who is set up by Satan himself, the capital A Antichrist. And he will fulfill all these predictions to a T, by the way. He won't care about anything else. He, he won't care about you know, whether, whether it's the things of this world, all he cares about is exalting himself, power, making sure everyone listens to him and bows down to him alone. And by the way, this is why he sacrifices this, this abomination of desolation on the altar so the Jews have no other choice except to uh, exalt him. Verse 39, it continues on. Uh, thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign god, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. He shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. And at the time of the end of the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. He shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land, this Israel, and many kingdoms shall be overthrown, but those shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. And by the way, these are all uh, countries that live on the, would be the, the east of Israel in modern day Jordan area. Uh, he shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. This is south of Israel. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, over all the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. He shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end. No one will help him. And again, this, this Antiochus Ptolemy, he literally set up his encampment uh, right there on the, the, the Dead Sea region, just underneath uh, the, what, what is called Masada today. And it was his downfall when, when this happened. Chapter 12, verse 1. And at that time, Michael shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. 
There shall be a time of trouble such as never since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, every one who is found written in the book. By the way, this time of trouble is described in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel, and in Daniel. All four of the major prophets, all four of these huge books, this time of trial is described in great detail. In fact, in verse 2 there of chapter 12, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Do you know what Daniel is referring to? When those who are dead in Christ shall rise from the dead. You see, all these saints of old, all these people that didn't even know about the Messiah, did they still have faith that God would send the Messiah? Do you know how the people of old were saved? Same way we are. Faith, right? Our, our faith looks back, right? We, we know whom we believe in. Who do, who do we believe in? Jesus Christ, right? We, 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 we see his, his death, burial, resurrection, that thing that we, we celebrate at Easter in just a couple of weeks, by the way. But, but the people of the Old Testament, they also believed in the Messiah as well. They believed in the Christ. They just look forward to the Messiah. And these people, they, they will be the first to rise. In fact, the, in 1 Thessalonians, it says that they'll rise first before, before those of us that are alive. Verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. By the way, is that happening even now? Oh, yeah. So much so that, you know, we don't even have to memorize anything. We just look it up, right? We just Google it, right? You just, you just search for it. You don't have to memorize things anymore. You just search for them. And I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one at this river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river? How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? This is what Daniel's asking. How long is this going to take place? How far in the future will this be? Because Daniel's writing this, and, and he's the wisest man at this time. You know, he's, he's writing down all these prophecies. He had to go through this, this, you know, very long life, had to, you know, uh, serve under not only the Babylonians, but also the Medes and the Persians under multiple kingdoms, under multiple kings. And now he's coming to the end of his life and he's saying, when will these things be fulfilled? When will these wonders be? Verse 7, Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore, by him who lives forever, that it shall be a time, time, and half a time. And the power of the holy people has been completely shattered. All these things shall be finished. You've probably heard this if you've ever read the Bible before, if you've ever read the book of Revelation. In fact, the man we've been going through, the book of Revelation, in fact, on Monday night, we saw these exact same words in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12, verse 14. Listen to what it says. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. A time is a year, times is two years, and half a time is half a year. One plus two plus a half is three and a half years. The, the midway point for the tribulation time period. Verse eight, although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? By the way, this is Daniel. Can you imagine? And, and you may be reading this too. And, you know, 
just like me, you know, you have to either have a commentary, you have to have someone else's writing to be able to try and understand this. Normally, you know, we, we read the Bible, and, you know, at least we're able to kind of glean a little bit about what it means. But, but this section here, chapters 11 and 12, this is very, very historical, extremely detailed history. And, and we look back on it and, and we can see, oh, yeah, this happened in, you know, one, or at least that person said it happened in 185 uh, B.C. But Daniel, he's looking to the, to the future and he's saying, Lord, when is this going to take place? Is this actually going to be fulfilled? We, too, we look at the Bible and say, you know, when, when are these things that are the Bible is predicting that, you know, the, the second coming or, 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 you know, the rapture of the church. And, and, and Lord, we, we look forward to that time. When is it going to happen? When is it going to take place? You say it's going to be very, very soon, and yet we're still waiting. Did Daniel have to wait too? The men of old have to wait. Yes, they did. And by the way, the comfort is there. The encouragement is there. Verse 9. And he said, go your way, Daniel. For the words are closed up and sealed to the end of the end, uh, time of the end. But, 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 I mean, this is so, you know, you read this and you say, is God just being flippant toward Daniel? No, there's encouragement here. There's this, there's this word of comfort. I hold the future, Daniel. I hold the future. Does God still hold the future today? Many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand what the wise shall understand. And by the way, that, that's still true today. When we go through tribulations, there's, there's a weeding out time period. There's this, this weeding out. There, there's the sifting of the wicked and the righteous. What happens to the righteous when they go through tribulations? They come out wider at the end. They come out more refined. But what happens to the wicked? They fall away. They give up. Verse 11, And from that time the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. By the way, this is three and a half years plus 30 days, okay? And, and, and the reason why these two last numbers are gonna, we're going to see here there's this time period during the tribulation time period. And, and you know, if you've read the, the book of Revelation before, there's what's called the, the rapture, then you have the tribulation, and then you have the millennial time kingdom or the, the millennial period, which is a thousand years. And by the way, if you weren't here when we, we studied this in the book of Ezekiel, you can go back to, uh, it was probably about three months ago when we actually went through this. And you can look up the previous uh, uh, descriptions of the millennial uh, kingdom. So what, what's going to take place is, and these are, these are accurate dates on purpose, it's 1,290 days, 30 days after the tribulation time period, and then another 45 days after this time period, uh, the temple's going to be restored on earth. This millennial kingdom is going to be set up. That's going to be specifically just for uh, the Jews. Blessed is he who waits. Wow. How many times do we say, blessed is he who waits? Normally, in our microwave culture, what do we say? <laughs> we want it now, right? You're counting down the seconds for it to arrive or it to be done. You, you order something and, you know, it's supposed to come on this day. And what happens when it doesn't come? What do we do? We complain. We worry. We, you know, try to figure out why it didn't come. Maybe it went to my neighbors or whatever it is, you know, right? Or, or, or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. It could be just a bowl of soup and you're just waiting. Uh, what does the Bible say about waiting? Blessed is he who waits. There's a refining process in waiting. It produces patience. One of those gifts of the Spirit. The book of Isaiah is beautiful, you know, describing 
what we're supposed to do in waiting. The, the book of Psalms is so descriptive in, in waiting. Wait upon the Lord. There's strength and waiting upon the Lord. He'll give you wings like eagles while you wait. The beauty of waiting, but in our culture today, do we like to wait? No. It comes to the 1,345 or 35 days, and this is, you know, it, just by doing a little, just a little bit of math, uh, uh, 1,290 minus uh, 1,335 is 45 days later, this millennial time period that's going to be set up. But you go your way to the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Daniel isn't even going to see this take place. Daniel, at the end of his life, isn't going to see the fulfillment of the prophecies that he writes down. In fact, this was true about many of the prophets themselves. Isaiah, did Isaiah get to see uh, that babe that was born to the virgin? No. But did he believe it would happen? Did he believe it would happen? Yes, he did. The same thing with Daniel, and the same thing is true for us today. Do you believe the word of God? That even if it doesn't happen in your lifetime, do you believe that it will happen? This truth of, you know, is Jesus Christ coming again? Do I, do I wait patiently for that day? Is God promised you something and you're waiting for that promise to take place? Do you believe that it's going to happen? Why does God make us wait for it? To refine us. To teach us patience. By the way, that's going to be the very next book in the Bible. This book of Hosea. I, I hope you come next week. Uh, Hosea is one of those books that is literally the most beautiful book. Beautiful, more romantic than even uh, the Song of Solomon. It is one of the most beautiful books in the Bible because it talks about the faithfulness of God. And this is what Daniel now, going from the book of Daniel, this book of prophecy, this book of sport, spiritual warfare, and now going into the book of Hosea and seeing the faithfulness of God to one of the most unfaithful people on the planet. Why would someone ever stay married to someone like that? And so I, I challenge you this week, read Hosea chapters 1, 2, and 3. And, and you'll be amazed at not only the, the patience of, of Hosea, but also the faithfulness of God to, to bring about something that is beautiful and then fulfilling that with prophecy. Because why is this prophecy that we've been reading about, this, this history lesson that we've been going through, why is this so important? Is God accurate in predicting the future? Yes, he is. And is it going to come to fulfillment accurately in God's timing? Yes, he will. So the challenge is, blessed are you if you wait. And so, Father, tonight, Lord, I ask that all of us here even, all of us here have periods of waiting. Maybe people here are waiting right now, whether it's a, a spouse or a child or work, finances or health or whatever it may be. Just, Lord, I, I, it feels like I've been waiting, waiting, waiting. When are you going to answer? When are you going to come through? When are you going to actually bring about what you promised? Lord, help us, first of all, to see that there's a spiritual warfare taking place, but then that you're going to answer, and you're going to answer accurately. You're going to answer in your perfect timing. And the waiting isn't just waiting the waiting isn't just something that's worthless the waiting isn't just something to pass the time the waiting is actually there meant to refine us to make us white to bring about a a, a strength in our life that draws us closer to a dependence upon you 
to wait patiently for you. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the book of Daniel, for, for the easy parts, the beginning that, that we, 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 you know, we can understand as a, a little child. And then even the, the last six chapters that we've been going through, they're, they're really weighty, that are really, uh, uh, you know, can feel like at times very, very wordy, but they're meant as accurate descriptions, very descriptive on purpose to predict the future. And then prepare us for next week when we read the book of Hosea, this beautiful book of your faithfulness. You're faithful even in the midst of a, of a nation that has been unfaithful to you as you were to Hosea and his wife, Gomer. And so, Lord, help us to apply that to our own lives, that we would see your faithfulness in our life. In the waiting times, you're still faithful. In the hard times, you're still faithful. In the trials, you're still faithful. In the pain, you're still faithful. In the stress, you're still faithful. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen.